thank you, Amy and Tara and Grant, for leading us in worship, one of the great hymns of the faith. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you. I want to add uh, my own word of welcome to you. And uh, before we go any further, I just feel it important to take a moment and offer some words of gratitude. Of course, this is Memorial Day weekend, a, a time for us to pause and reflect on the, the price that many have been willing to pay and, and the lives of sacrifice that so many have offered up that we could be here. Uh, but here closer to home, many other people have been at work here, even in recent days to help make this gathering and just our lives in general possible. Um, we're grateful for all of those frontline workers uh, that uh, were mentioned in Michelle's prayer a moment ago who have been working diligently, oftentimes at great risk, to, to keep us safe and to keep our uh, community functioning. I also want to thank those who've had a hand in making these services possible. Obviously, this is a little bit out of our routine, and it takes a number of people who are willing to step up and serve in some unusual ways. Uh, grateful to John Overstreet and Celia Jones for all the extra work they've done on the technical side to make it possible for you to see and hear me and and to have access to things online. Uh, grateful to those working behind the scenes, to Ethan and Trent for running the cameras, and to, to Josh and Mark and Laura and others who are in places that you can't see right now uh, making this happen. So as things return to normal in the next few weeks and you have a chance to interact with them, uh, please express your gratitude. It's just a, a reminder of, of what it takes to make church happen and all the people who are willing to, to serve. Amen. There you go. <clears throat> I've never been so glad to be honked at, so thank you for that. Well, a few weeks ago, we, uh, we began a new series of messages that we're calling Divine Disruptions, uh, looking at stories of the ways that God sometimes uh, inserts, maybe even intrudes into our lives in ways that we didn't expect to do things that we didn't anticipate. <clears throat> and certainly, in this season of life, we're very attuned to the reality of disruptions. We are in the midst of one right now. And so it's a wonderful moment to just pause and ask, how is God at work right now? How is He using this unprecedented experience to, uh, to show us new things, to teach us new things, to send us down new paths of service? A few weeks ago, we began this series by looking at the story of Abraham and God's call on him to begin a new covenant uh, that uh, would be the beginning stages of God's plan to call the world back to himself. Then last week, we looked at the story of Abraham's grandson, a man named Jacob, and how he too uh, had his life uh, interrupted in some pretty profound ways by God's grace. There are plenty of other stories in the Old Testament that continue along those themes, but uh, we're going to jump ahead to the New Testament today to look at one of Abraham's descendants, a man named Jesus, to show how he continued in that same vein. And so let me ask you, if you've got a copy of the Bible uh, or if you've got your phone or some other way to access the Scriptures, look with me, if you will, in Mark's Gospel. Uh, Mark is the second book of the New Testament, and of all the four Gospel writers, his is the shortest and the most abrupt, and so it seemed appropriate uh, to read this version or his version of this story. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Well, the, uh, the knock that came at our front door late that afternoon caught me a little bit by surprise. We were living in the church parsonage in those days, and pretty much everybody in the small town there knew who we were because we lived right next to the church, and anybody who knew us knew that if you wanted to come to the house, you came and knocked on the door at the carport. So the fact that somebody was at the front door suggested something unusual was going on. Well, I opened the door to find a, a, a sheriff's deputy in uniform standing there holding a piece of paper in his hand. And my mind began to race, trying to figure out what was going on. I began to wonder if maybe there was some unpaid parking ticket I'd forgotten about or some other issue. Well, he handed me the paper very calmly and matter-of-factly and explained to me that he was issuing a subpoena that had both my wife's name and mine on it. Turns out that the pleasure of our company was requested, well, actually not requested, required at the courthouse the very next morning. Well, as he drove away, we stood there looking at this piece of paper, trying to make sense out of what in the world was going on. Little by little, we began to piece the story together. Turns out there was a couple in our church who were going through a pretty bitter divorce. We were aware of that, but we didn't know the latest chapter of their saga. Through their lawyers, they were now battling with one another to see who would get custody of the children, and because they were not able to reach an agreement on their own, the matter was now going to come before a judge for a formal hearing. And one of the two parties, I honestly can't remember if it was the husband or the wife, beat the other one to the punch and subpoenaed both of us to come and appear in court as character witnesses on their behalf. Now, this was all extremely disruptive and very inconvenient. Never mind the late hour of the day. It was already 5 o'clock in the afternoon when this issue was given to us. But even more to the point, my wife had just given birth to our first child. She was still on maternity leave from her duties as our youth minister. So what in the world were we supposed to do with a newborn so that we could show up in court the next day? Well, through the friend of a friend of a friend, I was able to have a brief phone conversation with a lawyer to figure out what my options were, somebody who was willing to dole out a little free legal advice that late in the day. And his advice was pretty simple. He says, if the paper says you got to go, you got to go. So we made a few phone calls and a little bit later had a sitter lined up. And, and so it was that about 9 o'clock the next morning, we found ourselves sitting in the galley at the courthouse waiting to see if we would be called to take the stand. Now, at this point, you are leaning in, waiting for me to give you the juicy details on what happened next, and I ain't going to do it. Sorry, I'm not going to satisfy your salacious sense of curiosity. I tell you about that incident simply because it came to my mind when I first read our scripture reading earlier this week. I mean, there we were in our own home, minding our own business, 
going about our routine evening when suddenly our lives get intruded upon by somebody making a demand upon us that we hadn't planned on meeting. An outside authority had now inserted itself into our lives. The great state of North Carolina was calling. And when the call came, we didn't have any choice but to answer. I can't help but wonder if that's a little bit what it must have felt like for Peter and Andrew and James and John that day on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There they were, minding their own business, going about their routine roles as fishermen, when Jesus shows up from a seemingly out of the blue and knocks on the door of their lives and ask them to do something that I doubt they had planned on doing when they woke up that morning. Now, I've got to be honest and tell you that this story has always troubled me a little bit because it's so abrupt and so sudden, and frankly, it feels a little bit unfair. I don't know about you, but my experience of coming to faith was a fairly gradual process. I grew up in a Christian home where I was exposed to the gospel from very early years, and that means I had plenty of time to hear the story and warm up to the idea until eventually I came to a place where I was ready to make a decision, more or less, at a time of my choosing. At least that's what it felt like. But here, Jesus shows up out of the thin air with no prior warning and makes a rather drastic claim upon their lives. The way Mark tells the story, there's no evidence whatsoever that there had been any prior conversations, that Peter and the others had probably never encountered Jesus, or if they had, we certainly aren't told about it. And so what in the world would possess somebody like these men to just in an instant drop everything and run off after some guy they've just now met for the very first time? Well, there are scholars who like to remind us of the historical circumstances that might help bring a little bit of clarity, maybe give us just a partial explanation to that question. Jewish people of that day had a high reverence and a very high regard for rabbis, and rabbis were simply charismatic teachers, people who seemed to command uh, a certain charismatic personality and who had the ability to teach the Hebrew scriptures with some level of authority and insight. Uh, every rabbi of that day had his own style, and every rabbi would, over time, build up an entourage around them. Every revered teacher of the day had one. Uh, John the Baptist had disciples. We know that. The Apostle Paul later would have disciples. Anybody who was a revered teacher would, over time, draw people to them who were interested in coming and learning of them. And, and because rabbis were so revered, it would have been considered a great honor in many ways to be invited to come and be their disciple. You didn't go out and attach yourself to a rabbi. A rabbi came to you. It would be a little bit like Eric Clapton walking up to a guitar student and saying, hey, why don't you come hang out with me for a little while? Or some celebrity chef asking somebody who likes to cook to come spend some time in his kitchen. And so it's not hard to see why maybe, maybe Peter and the others would have been open to this because, well, Jesus was a rabbi. 
He had no credentials to that point. None of them did. But what he did have was a charismatic personality and a commanding authority over the Scriptures. And so they might have considered it a great honor to be invited to come and follow him. But even still, that doesn't diminish the very abrupt and sudden nature of this request. Add to that the fact that it becomes very clear very quickly that these men had no clue what they were getting themselves into when they accepted the call. Read through the Gospels and you'll get the very clear picture that Jesus continues to surprise and disrupt them. Just about the time they think they've got him figured out, he says something or does something that flips all of their assumptions and expectations upside down. And that actually continues even after Jesus has died and been resurrected. Read through the Gospel of Acts. And you will see how the risen Christ continues to surprise and disrupt the lives of those who have come to follow him. So it puts us back to our original question. What in the world would possess these men on an instant to drop everything they've known, leave behind everything that was familiar, and run off after this guy that they have just met? I don't know, but I can't help but think if... The answer has something to do with that experience my wife and I had that day when that sheriff's deputy showed up at our front door. Somehow or another, these men knew that in that moment, they had been summoned by a higher authority. Somehow or another, when Jesus showed up in their lives on the shores of the Sea of Galilee that day, they suddenly realized that a truth And an authority that was from beyond them had now inserted itself into their lives and was making a call upon them, a summons upon them that they simply could not walk away from. And so when Jesus called, they answered. And the way Mark's gospel tells the story, this is precisely why the gospel is called good news. If you were to back up a couple of verses prior to where we just read, you get a little bit more context. We began reading in verse 16. If you back up to verses 14 and 15, you get a summary statement. It tells us that Jesus began his ministry by traveling around and preaching. And the, and the essential message that he preached is very simple. It is repent and believe the good news. Jesus made it clear that what he had come to offer was good news. And then not coincidentally, the very next thing Mark tells us about is Jesus walking up to a couple of strangers and inviting them to drop everything and to come and follow him. Somehow or another, this encounter on the Sea of Galilee is part of the good news that Jesus came to bring. What could possibly be good about this kind of intrusion, about this kind of disruption? Well, I think the answer has to do with the fact that Jesus is now inviting these men to become a part of something that was bigger than they were. When he asked them to leave behind their nets and come and follow him, Jesus is taking these otherwise ordinary men men whose lives were obscure and routine and mundane. And through his authority, 
was inviting them to come and be a part of what he was doing. Through him, God was remaking all things. Through him, God is renewing all things. Through him, God is reconciling the world to himself. And now these men get to be a part of what he is doing. And it is all because Jesus came knocking. You see, that's not something these men would have ever been able to accomplish on their own. Through their own efforts, their lives probably would have been lived out in complete obscurity. But because Jesus called and because they answered, here we are 2,000 years later still reading their story, still living into the legacy that they helped to lay. When Jesus comes knocking, when Jesus summons, he is calling us into a life that is bigger and more purposeful than anything we would ever accomplish on our own. And that is why the gospel is such good news. How many times have you heard people say something like, you know, I just want my life to count for something. I just want to know that my life is a part of something bigger than I am. How many times have, have we ourselves said that? You know, I, I'm approaching 50 years of age now. I'm, I'm not a senior citizen yet, but I'm not a youth either. I'm in that in-between stage. And it's, it's funny how when your life reaches that threshold, you begin to think about things a little bit differently. When you're first starting your adult life, you've got one set of goals in mind, and they're mostly career-oriented and getting your, your routine started with your family, and that's all great. And I remember those days with, with fondness, but, but as you get older, you begin to think a little differently, and the question now becomes not, not what kind of house am I going to live in, but, but how are people going to remember me? What kind of mark am I going to leave? What kind of legacy is going to be behind me once I've passed from this world? Will I have made a positive difference or, or otherwise? And, and it becomes even more urgent when you begin to realize that you don't have an unlimited amount of time to make that happen. Like I said, I'm almost 50. If I live to be the average lifespan of the average American male, that means I now have more days behind me than I do before me. Now, I don't say that to be morbid simply to point out a reality. My time here is limited. So how am I going to make a difference? And, and add to that the fact that my life, to be perfectly honest with you, is pretty ordinary. Stacked up against some of the great heroes that we might think about, my life seems pretty simple, pretty plain. And I think about the things that I spent my time doing this week. I sent a bunch of emails. I don't know about you. Boy, isn't the world a better place because I sent some emails this week. I, uh, I made some phone calls. I, uh, oh, I put together a really awesome PowerPoint for a Bible study I led. Uh, I sat in front of a computer and, and wrote this sermon. And all of those things are fine, but none of those things in and of themselves are going to change the world. But the good news of the gospel is that what I'm doing isn't ultimately up to me because there is another one who is working through them. Because you see, the same rabbi from Nazareth who showed up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee one day and invited these very ordinary disciples to come and be a part of his life, that same rabbi showed up in my life at a certain point and invited me to come and be a part of what he was doing. And though there's no way I could have known then what that would mean, what I have come to understand 
is that it is no longer just me who does the things I do. It is God who works through them so that somehow or another the otherwise ordinary routine things that I do are now swept up into the grand thing called salvation that God is bringing about through the risen Christ. You know, I still remember with some fondness and some warmth when I first became aware of that. I told you a moment ago, my coming to faith was a fairly gradual experience, at least if you looked at it from the outside looking in. Having grown up in a Christian home, the the message of the gospel was just kind of the background music of my life. I heard that same message preached over and over again. But I still remember the day. I still remember the day when hearing that same message preached, it connected with me in a way that it never had before. I can't explain to you why it was that moment and not some other. I don't have to understand it. I just have to respond to it. All I know is that in that moment, the truth of the gospel broke into my young life. And for the first time, I really began to grasp that Jesus wasn't just an interesting idea or a historical figure, but that he was a living presence who was somehow now making a claim on me. He was knocking on the door of my life and asking for something from me. You know, we we talk about, have you found Jesus? The truth is, it's Jesus who finds us. It's Him who shows up in our lives when we least expect it and issues a call upon us. And so just like when that sheriff's deputy showed up at my door with a subpoena that I had no choice but to respond to, I began to understand in very incomplete and imperfect ways that Jesus was now making a claim on me. My response to that claim has certainly been imperfect and incomplete, just as it was for the disciples. But I'd like to think that that claim that Jesus made upon me all those years ago has something to do with why I'm standing on a flatbed trailer in a sunny parking lot preaching to a group of parked cars with my iPad fried because it's too hot. It's all because Jesus showed up one day and issued a claim. And I'd be willing to bet that that's got a little something to do with why you are here. I don't expect for one moment that your experience is going to be exactly the same as mine. The timing, the circumstances, All the details about how and when Jesus showed up in your life might look very different than they did for me. And I'm certainly also not suggesting that the only way to respond to that claim is to run out and become a preacher. That's just how it happened to work itself out in my life. But even still, I've got to think that that call upon you has something to do with why you're here. Why are you here? Why in the world would you get in a car and come sit in a parking lot on a beautiful spring day when you could be at the lake and listen to some preacher ramble on about some old story from the other side of the world? Or or if you're watching us online, why in the world would you stop and tune into this when you could just as easily hop over to Amazon and shop for some cheap electronics? Could it be, could it be that you're here Because Jesus came calling? 
Could it be that somehow, some way, you have sensed the same thing that the disciples sensed on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, that there is this larger authority that has inserted itself into your life and has made a claim upon you and has sent your life off in a direction that you hadn't planned on traveling? Could it be that you've come to understand that your life, your ordinary, routine life, has now been swept up in this cosmic adventure called salvation because Jesus came calling. Now, what is it exactly that Jesus calls us to do? Well, first and foremost, He calls us to trust Him for our salvation, and that's where the conversation begins. He calls us to trust that by His atoning sacrifice, He has reconciled us to our Heavenly Father and to one another and has made our eternal life possible. That was the grand mystery that all of those who responded to Christ in the New Testament had to grapple with. Just read the writings of the Apostle Paul who spends the rest of his life trying to wrap his head around the mystery that he who once believed that it was up to him as a Pharisaical Jew to achieve righteousness through his own effort had now been given righteousness as a free gift by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is the first call that Jesus makes upon our lives to allow Him to take that step for us and through faith in Him to be reconciled to God. And if we have not taken that step, then we will miss every other step along the way. But that's just the first step. It doesn't end there. When Jesus showed up on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and met Peter and Andrew and James and John, He didn't just say, hey guys, I just want you to believe in Me. And then go on with your lives as they were before. He says, no, no, I want you to come and follow me. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that physically we have to leave where we are, but it does mean that our lives now must go in a different direction than they were before we met him. Because he's now calling us to do things that we might not otherwise have chosen to do. He's calling us to give generously when our instincts are to hold back. He's calling us to forgive freely when our instincts are to settle the score, to live with grudges. Our instincts tell us to put our own needs first, but He calls us to serve readily. Our instincts are to measure who deserves what, but He calls us to love anybody and everybody that He sends into our lives, whether we think they deserve it or not. My friends, those are the kinds of calls that Jesus puts on our lives to go where He goes and to do what He does. But I believe, as intrusive as it may be, if we will respond to that call, we will find that these ordinary little lives of ours lives that for the most part are lived out in relative obscurity, will be swept up into something grander than we could ever possibly imagine, something that we by our own authority and our own power and our own wisdom could never accomplish. Because through the presence of the risen Christ, our lives are now a part of God's work to redeem the world. And it is all 
because Jesus came knocking. May we respond appropriately. Let's pray together. Father God, we are humbled that you would call the likes of such as us to be a part of your grand work. We realize, oh God, that by our own power we have so little to offer. We realize that that by our own wisdom we accomplish so little that is of eternal eternal significance. And yet through you, our lives are a part of the kingdom which has no beginning and no end. And so we just stand in awe of you today and we thank you for your power and your grace by which you have called us. And we pray that you would give us the faith to respond courageously, to go where you lead, and to do what you ask, and to recognize that our lives now belong to you. Father God, we thank you for the gift of this day, and we pray that you will allow us to use it in a way that serves you and pleases you. And we make this prayer in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, when Jesus calls, he's waiting to see what our response will be. So what is it? If you're listening to me today here in the parking lot, online, wherever you may be, and and you know you've never made that first step of responding to Him in faith, and that's where it begins, and that can happen right where you are, right in this moment, to acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior and to give your life to this grander authority that He alone possesses. And if that's where you are, we want to hear from you. If you'll reach out to us, call us here at the office, use that Connect button, Reach out to us in some way so we can come alongside you and, and celebrate. But, but all of us, as we leave this place today, have something we need to do in response to the call that Jesus has made. Some relationship that needs work, some word that needs to be spoken, some step of faith that needs to be made, some sacrifice that needs to be given so that we can continue to follow him. My prayer is that as we leave here today, we will have the courage to do so. And now as we close, once again, let me encourage you to take out your phones, open up that uh, order of service that you were sent today. If you don't have that, just go to the church website real quickly. You'll find the lyrics to our closing song. And let us close out our time together today as we sing together in praise. Let's worship him.